Hey everyone, and welcome to NYC's Back. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon, and I'm here to tell you New York is back. We have a new governor, the love gov is no more, but we also have crime, garbage, traffic, rats, the MTA being terrible, but thankfully we also have things that make New York magical again, like concerts and culture and food and people and small businesses for now. Now for this episode, I'm featuring a lifelong New Yorker and my friend who is also a contributor on CNN, Fox Business, in addition to hosting Saturday Agenda on Newsmax TV, this is Joseph Pinion. Good to be here. Thank you. So, Joe, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. You, you're a lifelong New Yorker from Yonkers, is that right? Born and raised in Yonkers, went to school in the city, went to university upstate, go gate, Colgate, and then <laughs> back to New York because apparently I am a glutton for punishment. And But truly, there, <laughs> there at least previously, was no better place to call home. Uh, and we're still trying to fight to make sure that that remains true for the next generation. Okay, so you said previously the best place to call home. Absolutely. When do you feel the decline? of New York City started? Well, I think, look, it, some things are a long time coming, I think, when you start looking at what happened in the aftermath of Elliot Spitzer being forced to resign as governor. Uh, we effectively had a state that was rudderless. We had the state Senate uh, locking the doors to the People's House legislature up in Albany. Uh, you have you have Mayor Bloomberg leaving. In comes de Blasio with no plan other than to implement plans that have <laughs> never worked in the history of the world, uh, bring them to the epicenter of finance of the world. Mm -hmm. And now we see the aftermath where I was just walking down Madison Avenue on the Upper East Side from 84th to 70th, um, it's effectively a ghost town. I've never seen so many four lease signs on Madison Avenue yeah. in my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I think collectively you see the crime, uh, you see the despair, as much as people want to ignore that reality for people all across New York City, from the Upper East Side of New York to East New York, um, there is uh, a well of despair that runs quite deep for the business owner mm. to the person uh, that calls his city home. Now, it's interesting because I've said this before. I live in the Upper East Side. I report on the news all day. I know this crime is happening. I just don't see it or experience it, thankfully, on the Upper East Side. Right. I did hear there was a shooting outside of an auto body store the other day. Um, but that and that was Upper East Side, but that I think was almost borderline Harlem. Right. So look, I, I think the reality is the manifestation of the rot that mm -hmm. we see in New York. Um, it manifests itself in different ways in different areas. And so, if you're living uptown in the Upper East Side, it may be the fact that business owners have been decimated. That unless your last name is Loren, you can no longer afford to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. I think if you go to a place like East New York, that manifestation are little boys and little girls watching their parents be shot in broad daylight by criminals who know that they're there is no chance that they will be held accountable. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that people want to ignore. I think that it's very easy for somebody who may be uh, self-identified liberal, self-identified on the left, to ignore the pain and suffering that has been visited upon the people that actually facilitate their day-to-day -day living. Because the people right. who work those doorman buildings, the people who run those coffee shops, the coffee yeah. shops are no longer there. And the people, when they get off their shift, are going back to communities that are less safe today than they were pre-pandemic. Now, do you think that getting a new mayor like Eric Adams or Curtis Lewa will help the city that much? And, and I don't want to put you on the spot. I know that you are conservative, but is Curtis your candidate? Look, I think for me, we just have to have people that understand that 
the issues facing New York require a wholesale departure from what came before. Uh, the solutions that worked in the 80s, in the early 90s, uh, if you want to try to go back to the good old days with Giuliani, they will not work in this modern environment. And similarly, this notion that somehow... Like what wouldn't work well, exactly? Look, Sorry, I, I think specifically, when mm -hmm. we just have this notion that, oh, we're going to get New Yorkers of all shades and creeds to come together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya uh, okay. around this notion of, you know, crime is up, uh, despair is up, mm -hmm. and we have to do something about it. I think that we have to have a broader message uh, to get people to understand, uh, to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. Because as I said before, the pain and suffering in East New York is not the same as the pain and suffering being experienced on Madison Avenue. But we have not found a way to weave that thread to get people to understand that a rising tide does raise all boats, but at the same time uh, that uh, <laughs> there are some boats that are sinking yeah. all across this city. So I think that you know right. any person in this race um, who can number one acknowledge that reality acknowledge the fact that what we have done is not going to work what we are doing is not working here are new 21st century solutions to make sure that America and New York City remains the preeminent force for progress right. in this nation that's the person that's going to win because this notion that we're going to retrofit 1990 solutions uh, to fit a 2021 New York City is not the forward type of looking that is required to make sure that we regain our stature as the preeminent city in the world. Right, and I agree with everything that you said. I am interested to hear more from Curtis Lewa and Eric Adams. And also, it's crazy because now they have an added challenge of COVID because COVID has become so political. And I talked about this with Mayor Giuliani last week, but it's just, it's added this, this layer of confusion for everybody and this layer of hate for everybody. I mean, I am 100% the only one on the subway or on the bus that just doesn't put a mask on sometimes right. because I'm vaccinated. This is a, a conversation I have with my husband all the time. We get in an Uber, the driver's wearing a mask. Our windows are down. My husband puts a mask on, totally do what you want. But I'm like, this doesn't, why? Well, I don't I, want it. I, I think the reality is that politicians used to understand that the easiest way to get people's votes was to solve their problems. We now live in a new era where people have recognized that leaving problems unsolved and finding a way to blame the political opponents for the pain that those problems cause is the easiest way to stay in power. Mm -hmm. And so I think on some basic level, we see this with something like COVID, where instead of saying, hey, what are the best practices that need to be put in place. How do we get the yeah. vaccine hesitancy, hesitant to actually want to take the jab? We have instead mm -hmm. been able to weaponize the fear that the people who have been vaccinated have, weaponize the fear of the people who are vulnerable have, right. and be able to say that if you're concerned about this, it's this subset of people who are the bad people. Instead of saying, why aren't you actually doing the things that entice these people to trust you? Mm -hmm. It even goes back to the whole thing about Dr. Fauci. Whether you want to say he did the right thing or the wrong thing, I think the biggest issue is that for those who are hesitant, it's very clear, they do not trust him. Uh, they no longer believe that he is a credible voice. And so mm -hmm. if the goal is, look, you can say whatever you want about Governor Cuomo, but I think the only truthful thing he has said in the last two months is that the best thing for him to do at this juncture is to step aside. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who is believing that we have a, a pandemic among the unvaccinated, which uh, is dubious science at best, but if that's your 
your perspective on it, sure. then it's very clear that the group of unvaccinated do not have any reverence or trust for Dr. Fauci. The best thing for him to do at this juncture, if your true concern was the health of the nation and by extension the health of the unvaccinated, would be to find a different messenger who would be a different face and a different voice to address the next phase of this pandemic. They have not done so because from my perspective, it is not about trying to make sure we get through this pandemic together. It is about leveraging the fear that has been brought about by this pandemic to hold on to power. And that to me is, I mean, maybe a conservative view on it, but I think ultimately getting people to understand the minute we start making decisions mm -hmm. that are predicated on putting the people first yeah. and not predicated on actually leveraging politics to divide the populace, yeah. that is when we will finally be able to move on. But in this environment, where it's always about who caused the pain and not what the solution is to get past the suffering. Right. That's where we are today, and that's why uh, we're in the mess that we find ourselves here in this city with businesses continuing to be shut down because now you're asking them to become the COVID police for a pandemic of the unvaccinated where the vast majority of New York City people, 50% yes. and growing, have already gotten their two jabs. And I have to say, I knew this was coming um, the showing of the vaccination cards at restaurants Papers, and please. whatever. Yes, so, I mean, it's not supposed to go into effect until September 15th. However, I'm with my family over the weekend. We just want to stop and get some pizza. And again, I knew this was coming. I don't know why it upset me so much, but we walk into this place, San Mateo Pizza, we always go to, and she said, do you have proof of vax? We need it for you to get in, except for the kids, because they're too young. And my blood was boiling. I don't know why, but it pissed me it, it, off it, it so I, I, yes. think, I think to me, I it's like, look, I've, I'm, I'm a double vaccinated person. Mm -hmm. I got the jab predominantly because I had a grandmother that I loved dearly and I wanted to spend more time with her. But on mm -hmm. some basic level, I've done what you've asked me to do. This notion that every single place I go is going to require me to have papers, that the government wants me to download an app that effectively gives them the right to track me anywhere I go. Mm -hmm. um, but somehow I'm supposed to trust that if I tell them not to track me, that they won't do so. Um, it is lunacy, right? The, 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 the whole, f the fact of the matter is here, even if you look at the hospitalization rates in a place like New York City, uh, the vast majority of the people who have in, I've been in those hospitals are the people who are not vaccinated. The death rate, I think going back to July 15th, the uh, what was it, the 14-day average mm -hmm. was three. Uh, the, the hospitalization rate over the 14-day average was less than 18. Right. Uh, this is New York City, right? So mm. at some point, the question has to be asked, why are we crafting public policy for a city north of 9 million strong in the interest of the tiny subset of the population that remains susceptible to this virus and at the same time, has made a conscious decision not to do what you have told them to do, mm -hmm. right? At this point, we're no longer talking about a dearth of information. We're no longer yeah. talking about this kind of misinformation campaign. People mm -hmm. who have chosen not to get the jab are not uninformed, they're unconvinced. And they're unconvinced because they don't believe that the people who are telling them to get their jab have their best interest at heart. And that is confirmed by the fact that when the president, the vice president of these mm -hmm. United States gets on TV and says that rural Americans are too stupid to be able to find a copy machine to be able to make copies of their IDs uh, when you have that. did you say that effectively <laughs> oh my gosh um, and so you know <laughs> I, I think people don't seem to understand that translates into a display of contempt that you have for people and you cannot display contempt for someone's very existence while also assuring them that you are highly concerned about their living and dying mm. and until we're able to have a fundamental shift in that approach to understand that we do not have an information deficit 
we have a love deficit we have a compassion deficit because the people who are beating this message home time after time after time demonstrate their disdain and their contempt for that subset of people who are simply trying to do in their own way what they believe is best for them and their family irrespective of whether you agree with the decision or not right and I I do feel for business owners in New York City at this point and restaurant owners because it puts Probably them in a bad yeah you look, again, it, you it look does at, it does I mean I have I have friends who invest in stuff I mean mm -hmm. who are looking at potentially investing in restaurants at rent yeah. I mean those conversations came to a screeching halt oh. the day that the governor and the mayor of this city came and said that we we're going to have these mandates and all these other things because at some point people just say screw it um, and I, I think we're, we're starting to get to this point where it, it almost feels like failure by design all those years of people who said oh we need to find ways to turn some of this commercial office space into residential space to drop the actual cost of living in New York City because right. somehow everyone is entitled to live on the island of Manhattan they are not uh, what we should be focused on and what we have never been focused on and I think to me it would behoove the people running for mayor of the city to focus mm -hmm. on is to say that why is it that everyone wants to live in Manhattan and the answer is because it is by and large safer by and large there is more access to the everyday uh, accoutrement required to live the type of lifestyle that people want so why aren't we focused on bringing more grocery stores to those food deserts that exist here in New York City in yeah. Brooklyn in Queens why are we not focused on bringing that neighborhood environment to those aspects of the community where the neighborhood has been decimated and you have nothing but bodegas littering the atmosphere with food that we all know will kill you. Uh, the high fructose corn syrup, the processed foods, all the things which, by the way, lead to the obesity, lead to the diabetes, lead mm -hmm. to the comorbidities that we know yeah. lead to this increased cases of adverse reactions to this COVID-19, which, by the way, is reflected in the data when you see where the people are that are doing the dying, right? So again, yes. it's not that Charlie Kirk and the Republican Party is spewing misinformation into Harlem and spewing misinformation into East New York. Those people, those those black and brown people have some of the worst outcomes comparable to what we see in Appalachia country, mm -hmm. comparable to what we see right. in what the media loves to call Trump country. And it's not because they're listening to the same radio shows or watching the same cable news shows. It's because right. people who have been subject to neglect year after year, decade after decade, black and white, everywhere in between from Harlan to West Virginia, recognize that the government has not always done what they promised they were going to do and so for us our focus should be how do we bring the conditions that invite people to want to live in New York City to other people meet them where they are bring those actual living accommodations that make a city a community that make a community a society how do we do that for a broader swath of people we never have these conversations because we're so focused on keeping people divided we never actually get to building the type of society that keeps us in a more focused, united front. Well, Joe, this was incredibly enlightening for me, and I think what I took from all of this um, with what you said is that in order to get New York City back on track, just to shorten it up a little bit, is we need new leadership.
that's yes. that is the main thing. We, we need, need new leadership. New we leadership. need leadership that embraces the fact that the solutions of yesterday will not power our greatest tomorrow. We need to actually understand that we need to bring the best practices that we know work, the conditions that we know people all love, to meet people where they are, to bring those conditions to where they are, so that at the end of the day, we can truly have a New York City that works for every person who calls New York City home, irrespective yes. of which borough they call home. Yes, we need to be New York strong again. I mean, we really do. And I, I think it's going to happen. I think we have to get to November. I've said this before. Let's get to November. Let's see what happens. I already feel better with Kathy Hochul in place. I know it sounds crazy, but I was, I couldn't believe she found 12,000 more deaths than, than Andrew Cuomo. It's all insane. But um, anyway, Joe, thank you for being here today. You were such a lovely guest. I learned so much from you, to be perfectly we honest. We, just, we really we, we did. Just we packed it. We packed it. <laughs> packed it out. Um, and we have no champagne this time, but I'm also very hungover. So <laughs> oh um, champagne's not necessary. But anyway, thanks, guys, for watching New York's Back. Until next time.